The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers based on their personal and or professional experience with grief and bereavement. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the Lighthouse Beacon Podcast. My name is Rami Sham, and I'll be your host for this podcast. A little background about our organization. We are located in Oakville, Ontario, Canada, but provide our services to the Greater Toronto, Ontario. We offer facilitated grief peer support groups to help children, teens, and their families through the grieving journey following a death in their family, however the family is defined. Our groups are ongoing and open-ended, which offers each family member an opportunity to participate in their own unique way. We launched these podcasts in an effort to create a greater awareness, not only to children's grief support, but especially the diversity within children's grief. But before we begin this podcast, I feel it's an imperative that we share a land acknowledgement. My parents are immigrants and refugees, and so so it brings an awareness to me what has incurred for my parents to settle on this land, and we are all settlers in that regard. And a great deal of trauma, genocide, harm has been inflicted and experienced by Indigenous people for millennia. I personally acknowledge that the land that I'm standing on today is traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples. I also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 signed with the Mississaugas of the Credit and the Williams Treaty signed with the multiple Mississaugas and Chippewa bands. And today, it gives me great pleasure to have on our podcast an innovative and exceptionally progressive colleague within the field of grief and bereavement. Dr. Joshua Black is a grief and bereavement researcher, speaker, consultant, and host of his own podcast called Grief Dreams. His work focuses on dreams and continuing bonds after loss, including prenatal and pet loss. As one of the leading academic experts in grief dreams, which can be dreams of the deceased, Dr. Black has directed his efforts on raising awareness about this fascinating phenomena through media interviews, in addition to speaking engagements and workshops. In addition to his website, www.griefdreams.ca, you could find him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Grief Dreams. Dr. Black is also a Bereavement Initiative Manager at the BC Center for Palliative Care. Dr. Black has also taught me a great deal in terms of the client care that I provide in bereavement support at Kensington Health, in terms of even asking about dreams of the deceased. Welcome, Dr. Black. Well, thank you so much for having me on and your willingness to talk about this subject. I, uh, I always appreciate Anytime I can raise awareness on on this and on this topic, and I also want to give a land or land acknowledgement from where I am. So long before Canada was formed, the Stalo people were the original land stewards, and they have lived here since time immemorial. They continue to live in the unceded Stalo territory known to settlers as the Fraser Valley and Lower Fraser Canyon of British Columbia. And I want to acknowledge and honor the contribution that Indigenous people have made and continue to make to our community, but also this topic. As much as I speak a lot on this topic, they value this topic before I came around and they continue to value the topic. It's, 
you know, Western culture that's starting to, and they kind of needed the research to then say, hey, this is something that maybe we should look at. And that's where I sort of come in. But it's at the end of the day, it's not like I invented the, the, the topic. I'm just trying to raise awareness through the research aspect. Thanks, Dr. Black. Uh, speaking of research, can you tell us a little bit more about the fascinating research you've done in grief dreams? You've done your doctorate in it. So can you tell us a little bit more about, uh, about that? Uh, let's just go back to the beginning because the, the question is, why do I even value the thing? Like, like, why, like, what is it about it that caught my attention? Because no one was really talking about it. And um, for me, it wasn't something that I set out to do. It was something that was almost put in my path as I sort of move forward in my, in my life. And so it was the death of my father that really transformed me in understanding the impact, you know, grief can have on someone. And I was in university, I was 24 years old, so I was still a young adult. And I was still trying to figure out life and figure out my emotions and how to process everything. And so his death completely crushed me. Like, I had never really experienced anything like that before. And I didn't have any supports. I didn't know about hospices. I didn't know about lighthouse. I didn't know about really any supports that one gave within a community. And so as a good male, what I did was I just wanted to stop crying. I wanted to stop feeling the pain. And so I was able to do that, you know, which is, I think, great for me as a goal, <laughs> but really bad for me as a healing process, because what happened was the color went out of my world. So I felt the best way to explain it is that once I stopped feeling, the world became like black and gray. And so one would probably say I was like depressed, but I was going along my everyday life with with the going to school, getting good grades. So no one on the external outside thought anything was wrong with me or that I needed to talk about it because my external world was going the same as it was prior. Um, But I wasn't feeling that inside. And then I had this dream of my father three months later where I was in my room and I saw him at the end of uh, my, my bedroom and he was looking through some of my stuff and he's just looked healthy. He looked happy and he had this like peace to him. And the importance of that is that I've never seen him like that in my entire life. So this wasn't like, to me, this wasn't a memory in the sense that, cause he always had this trauma that he carried with him, and he liked to cope through like drinking and and other types of behaviors. So for him to have this peace, it was just remarkable for me. And I just went up to him and I hugged him and I said, I'm going to miss you acknowledging his death. And I told him that I loved him. And then, so like we hugged and I woke up and what was interesting was when I woke up, the color was back. So my whole world completely changed in a matter of this one dream. And for me, I still don't understand it, but I remember sitting at the end of the bed thinking, what was that? This was different than anything I've ever experienced in my life. And I didn't even know this was possible. I wasn't asking for one. It just happened. And I appreciate that it happened because I'd still probably be in that space (laughs) if it wasn't for that dream. And I've always kept that dream so close to me because it was the I would say the, the, the most single thing that impacted me on my, my grief journey. And then uh, the one thing that was also surprised me at that time was I didn't tell anyone. I kept it to myself. And it was only when, you know, some things, I finished school and I went and I, uh, I tried to go in my career path, which was um, to be an elementary school teacher. That was like my desire or my dad's desire anyways for me. And then when I sort of um, had a moment there where I just felt that it wasn't right, it didn't feel right. So I'm like, what feels right? And I didn't know at that time. So that's when I volunteered at different hospices 
and in the bereavement program. And what I found was people were asking about these dreams to me, and I wasn't talking about them. I wasn't bringing them up, but they kept asking these questions to me. And I was very curious because I had my own. And at that time, they're all very positive. And people are having negative dreams, very horrifying dreams. Other people weren't having dreams. They want to know why. And and so just out of, I think, service to them and also try to make meaning of my own loss, I thought, you know, could I, could I help them to understand what's going on? And when I looked at the research, there wasn't anything there for them that I could actually give them. So that's when I decided to then pursue the my master's program uh, in psychology to look at this topic. And then I realized I needed more time to actually answer the questions that they had. And so I then I had to do, I had to do a PhD. It wasn't, <laughs> I didn't have a choice. Um, and the beauty is the, there was no program that I could have went to. So it was, I always get, have great gratitude to my supervisors who allowed me to do something that they didn't know anything about either. Um, and that's just something special in the sense of, you know, having a supervisor willing to take you on on a, a new subject matter in general. So, um, and then here I am trying to raise research. So the research itself, like there's a lot we can sort of talk about in any different direction because there's just, just so much we, I've done. Um, but the, I think the biggest thing that I've learned throughout it and throughout the journey was I went in thinking one thing, but I realized the topic is so much bigger than I ever even knew when I started the journey in grad school. And there's so many biases and interesting interpretations on the topic that can really hinder people throughout the process. But also there's a, a huge hesitation for people to even bring up the topic within their bereavement support groups and uh, their training, um, really, which is interesting to me to see that there still is in, in some ways. But the research has helped as I sort of move forward to sort of validate that it exists. I think people didn't believe it existed or didn't understand the the frequency on which people can have these types of experiences. And so just in the, the research that I've done myself, after spousal loss within the first year or two, or partner loss, it was 86% of individuals had at least one dream of that deceased partner or spouse. After pet loss within the first six months, it was 78%. And then after a miscarriage, it was 57%. And that was with both the partner and also the the birth mother, we sampled both of them, and um, yeah, so it's fifty seven percent within the first year, and so that's just like if you really look at those numbers, it's ginormous. So this is like this is occurring, and as you would you would think, as time moves on, people will have these more experiences, and then also there is one this is a study that has been done on children, and they looked at children who were in a bereavement camp after a uh, parent died. And what they found was 55% of the children had a dream of the deceased parent. So when you start looking at all the people you've probably come in contact with, all the people you've supported, majority of them probably would have had a dream that may have been amazing, like mine, and really changed me. And it's the reason why maybe they, they have done so well or the thing that they've clinged on to or gained guidance from. Other people may be having nightmares and it's causing sleep issues that are not being acknowledged. And so when we look at the difficulties that people may be having within their grief process, when you don't ask about their sleep or their dreams, you're really minimizing the impact of those. But those can have a huge impact in anything that you're trying to do. Because, you know, sleep is so important when it comes to just emotion regulation, about, you know, just your, your cognition. 
problem solving, you know, memory, like everything that, you know, we're really trying to work people through. Also depression, suicide, ideation, even health. Like, so it has such a huge impact on people's feelings and, and how they can progress through the, the healing process. Um, yeah. And then the dreams itself, if people are having negative dreams, it can actually result in people having this sleep deprivation because they are afraid to go to bed. And so there's ways that we can actually work through that. And I think that's what's so important to talk about it. But also dreams in general, as I see, they're like a really a best friend in many ways. They're trying to tell us something that a lot of times we're not acknowledging in waking life. And so we can actually utilize those as just tools. And I think talking to just people who, you know, support those who are bereaved, you know, children or adults, is the fact that you don't need to know what a dream means. You just need to know how to talk about it and to be able to just talk about it freely and ask questions and value the experience. Because I think a lot of people get have this discomfort because they're not trained in the area. So they sort of you know, push it away. But it, it's not as difficult as people, I think, think it needs to be. And I think that's why education is such a big part of that. And that's sort of you know really what I'm doing. So I, so I could talk more and more about it, but that's sort of just the, the huge impact on, you know, what these dreams can do in a journey and also that they happen within children too. And these dreams can be so real. It can actually confuse people, adults too, but also children on what is actually going on. What is death? Are they alive still? And yeah, there's, so there's a lot of things that can happen because of these dreams that if you don't ask about them, they can sort of impact people on the side and it's just good to know what's going on. Thanks so much, Joshua. You know, I remember, it must have been about two or three years ago now when I started doing bereavement support for Kensington Hospice. You asked me, why aren't you asking your clients about grief dreams? So I started. And it's amazing. You know, what I found is that I asked my clients once about the possibility if they have any grief dreams. And in subsequent sessions that we have, they actually come to me and say, hey, Rami, I have a grief dream for you. Rami, I got something to share with you about, I dreamt about, you know, whoever it might be. It's really amazing how it just started almost uh, a momentum and an awareness of their own grief dreams. And one client in particular, uh, they had wanted to have a dream of the person that was deceased and they weren't having it and it was upsetting them. And so you educated me in terms of how to support this person in terms of asking them what dream they would want to have of the person that was deceased. And that in and of itself helped that person immensely. So a lot of gratitude to you, Dr. Black. I think also it helps with the grieving process for somebody to share grief dreams or even look at them themselves. So that all being said, Joshua, how do you see this relating to children who are grieving? What have you seen? How does it relate to them? Well, there's there's a lot of ways. As I sort of said, some children may be afraid to go to bed, and so they become sleep-deprived. And you could understand what a sleep-deprived child feels like or, or looks like. <laughs> you have your own children. <laughs> and so, you know, it's very hard for them to emotionally regulate even further. It's hard for them to function. Um, said like, it just sleep is so important. And so that also uh, impacts them on how they interpret the dream. So you have this impact on the, the sleep, but you also have this impact on when they're awake, on what that dream means to them. And children are very, oh, people in general are interesting on in how they interpret things. And, you know, your culture, your beliefs, everything is intertwined in that. The experience itself on what is said in that dream can have a huge impact. And so 
that in itself, I think, is a very important because just because someone tells you a dream, you don't know how they're interpreting that dream. And the interpretation is very important to understand what they're actually looking or how they're looking at it to understand what to say about that dream. And so, yeah, I've seen people just be very confused. <laughs> it's the most part. This is very confused. Yeah. And children the same way. And I know the one study that did look at children in after the parent loss, a lot of them were scared because um, they didn't understand it. They felt that the person was back again. They felt it was a real experience. And another reason why they felt scared because they felt that the deceased was watching them. And so they kind of felt um, distraught because there's things that they were doing that the deceased probably didn't approve of. And so they had this guilt for now that the deceased is watching them, right? Like <laughs> on how they're, what they're doing. And so it's just like, it's understanding. And also it's said like it, children are still trying to understand what death is. And these dreams can really confuse people. And there's even dreams where not all dreams are positive. I think that's the most important thing. Some dreams I have seen just in my research and in different cultures where the deceased may even try to convince the person to kill themselves. And to, and to understand that for a child, there is in Brazil, I remember there's this one study that was done where there's this myth or this like thing that people say that if a parent dies, um, the parent, the deceased parent may come to the child and try to take them with them because they're still attached. And so they're referring that to in a dream. And it's, it's very interesting when you look at different cultures and how they sort of see some of these images. And there's other cultures that have this very similar thing with adults as if, um, remember one in the uh, Azabeno uh, people, or no, the uh, Torja people, uh, what they sort of found was one of the, the things that they say is if someone, if a, if a bereaved has a dream of the deceased trying to take them to the afterlife, like forcefully, that means that person's going to die soon. And so you have this very similar theme of, you know, this certain type of dream equals sort of almost maybe a death to the dreamer. And then even in my own research, this dream has come up actually three times. I've collected over thousands of dreams. And what's interesting about that is that it was really, it was related to the highest forms of trauma. And so like, it was a scale, I think the trauma scale was at like one to five. It was at like a five. For two of the people, a third, it was a little lower. That person stated that once they had that dream, they decided to go to therapy because they felt something was, um, some, they needed help. And those dreams can be very negative in the sense of deceased dragging them to the afterlife or trying to, trying to forcefully convince them to kill themselves. Or it could also be that they're trying to convince them very happily. So because the, the one was a spouse that died, they're trying to convince them that it was the only way to be together, that they had to basically end their life. And so when you, when you look at that, you understand even more the importance of asking about these dreams. Because with, for a child, if they had a dream like that, it's not very common, it seems. It probably relates to more trauma um, and maybe even suicide ideation. Um, but the biggest thing is if we can understand what's going on, it can give us a, a snapshot of how they're truly doing and to be able to talk about that. Because if children think death is re reversible, then all of a sudden they may, you know, 
think they're going to meet the deceased, but really they're, they're ending their own life. And so this is why it's very important. I haven't talked about it too much, but it's, it's always something that I'm trying to bring up now in conversations because it just really hits people a little bit differently. As much as we can have these very positive dreams that change our lives, we can also have these other dreams and you can see them across cultures, which I think is very fascinating. So it's a definitely a human experience. And I think it signifies more trauma than anything that the person's actually dealing with. So Joshua, when we started these podcasts, it was about, you know, diversity from the conventional perspective, such as multiculturalism and ethnicity and language or what have you. But we've really shifted it to be diversity in terms of the grief support, the ways people are grieving, the way children are grieving. So that being said, it's a probability that people listening to this podcast are those who actually provide uh, grief and bereavement support for an organization such as someone like myself. And of course, that could also be people who are grieving and hopefully teens, youth, and children. So how would they navigate grief dreams? For people who are experiencing uh, grief dreams, how would they navigate them? What do they do with them? How do they talk about them? And also for those who are providing the support, the grief support, you know, how do they provide support in terms of grief dreams? Do they need special training? Do they need the special education? How do they go about doing that? It's a big question. But I think the first thing is to really understand, I think, dreams in whatever context that they understand it. And for most people who support the bereaved in whatever culture, um, I know in Western culture anyways, there's not a lot of awareness on what dreams are or the research on dreams. So it's hard to talk about something we don't have any kind of understanding about what you're really trying to talk about. And so for Western research, what they sort of found is that dreams represent our waking life for the most part. So when people are more joyful or happy, they're going to have more positive dreams. When they're sad or depressed, they're going to have more negative dreams. And so it really is reflective of what's going on in one's waking life. Now, with that, dreams can be passive in the sense of just a reflection, but they also can be very active in trying to help us process what actually is going on. So um, with that understanding, you can then sort of shift to sort of understand maybe what's going on with some of these dreams. And so I will say that most people on average, um, just in general, without grief or trauma, will have more negative dreams than positive dreams. That's because we just worry so much as we're going to bed. And then, you know, after trauma, what happens is you see dreams be more consistently negative. And so in while one is grieving, you would expect dreams to be negative. So it's just one of those things that you would expect that to be something. And that really helps normalize the negative dreams that one may be having. But what's interesting, just in my own research, is that when the deceased is a part of the imagery, that's actually not the case. You're actually, it's more common to have these positive dreams um, than these negative ones. So there's something else going on. And so I really looked at some of the functions of these dreams within the grieving process. And I guess I could, if you want me to go into that some more, uh, I can. But yeah, so to answer your question, knowledge, I think understanding and, and being trained and I don't know, being, yeah, I guess trained is one way, but really just understanding the knowledge that's out there can really help people. So the functions of these dreams, so these negative dreams, people have they could be the integration trying to integrate the death and the trauma into someone's life so it's, it's trying there's a there's a function towards it um, when it comes to emotion regulation is another um, reason why these dreams may be occurring 
which is the negative dreams can actually help if someone's trying to avoid their loss. And so it can actually bring out their grief and the reality of what has actually happened. So it's regulating in the sense of uh, feeling that, that sadness, but also these positive dreams, you can really sort of see it allowing people to um, almost have a moment of respite where they're feeling, feeling love. They get to ask questions. They get to hear the deceased voice. They get to see them. Um, and there's just like this euphoric feeling a lot of times within it. Um, but also when, you know, when they wake up, a lot of times they can feel sad and that's okay. You would expect that because the person's not there anymore and it was another ending. Um, but that in itself is just conversation to be able to talk about. And then lastly, it's these, um, these dreams can provide grief support. Like it's interesting how when we're sleeping, we're also being supported in many ways through these dreams. And so it could be providing um, continuing bond. So it, like that in itself, research has shown um, for many people to be helpful in the grieving process, to remember them. Um, also said like to get guidance on, so like for parents who had a, let's say the death of the spouse and they have kids, a lot of times they can get guidance on what to do with the, or how to support the children through the dream. The Children themselves can get support from um, the parent if they died in the sense of feeling proud that they're doing a good job, um, that they still love them, they're still part of the family. And then other things can be just like helping guidance with you know what people are really still working with when it comes to the grieving process. And what I really love about these positive dreams is a lot of times they do focus on what the person is actually still working on. So like my dream, if you look back at my dream and you you heard that dream, understand what was the function of that in my process? Well, the, the first thing was I got to say goodbye and my dad died very suddenly. I never got a chance to say that. So that in itself was a block that was it was working on it for me. The other thing was I told him I loved him. And if someone asked me, when's the last time you told your father you loved him? I would say probably as a kid. It's not something we said. Like he didn't say it to me. I didn't say it to him. But it's something that my my soul longed for that I never got a chance to do. And because he died so suddenly, I, I was, you know, I didn't have that opportunity. But in that moment, I did. And like there's got to be, there's healing in that in some way or another. Um, but also the space of love, I believe, is one of the most common things I've seen across cultures. And it doesn't matter what the deceased says or if there's religious symbols or not, there's this calming space of love that people commonly speak on. And that's what kind of what I was into. And I believe that that space in general has a lot of healing potential for people um, within the process. And I still don't fully understand it, but I believe that there is some kind of purpose for that also. And so that's why people can then put religious understandings or visitations or it's a soul. All I know, it's a human experience that people are dealing with and there's these common patterns. I don't know what it is, but I can acknowledge that it exists and then be able to try to talk about it within the person's culture. So um, I guess in in the end, like understanding that allows us to normalize it. So when people do bring it up, um, you can talk about it and say, yes, like a lot of people have this common this common experience. Like, what are your thoughts on this? Like, how do you sort of see this dream and how do you feel about that dream? And if you don't have a dream, you know, as you said, like what dream you want to have, but also what are your concerns about that? A lot of people who don't have dreams may get be jealous of other people who do have these dreams in their family. Um, other ones may actually feel that if they're spiritual, that the soul is trapped or they, they didn't like make it to the afterlife or something's wrong. And so like, they're trying to like, just have like a, 
a moment or a sign that they're okay, which is, you know, a lot of times we, we have that with our loved ones. Just give me a call when you, you make it over to, you know, Toronto or whatever. I just tell me you're safe. And I think a lot of people who are spiritual can have that. And yeah. So just really acknowledging that truth that this is a human experience that people are working with. And then their interpretation is also very important. So Joshua, we talk about positive dreams and negative dreams. I mean, that's what I'm hearing you mention a few times so far. Could you characterize what would be considered positive and negative with respect to these grief dreams, or is it really subjective? Well, there's two ways to really look at that. So when I looked at it, it was more of the objective sense of the dream itself, not the interpretation of the dream. And so some of the negative themes that people can have is deceased, uh, ill, dead, or dying again within the dream. Also, the deceased may be trying to harm them or provide discomfort in some way. And then there's, you know, these more positive dreams, which we classify as where the deceased is healthy and happy again, or they're providing comfort in some way. And a lot of times, you know, that comfort is, you know, grief support in many ads sort of where they are in their journey. Also feeling love. And I think, you know, we talked about that there's this loving presence, but what you see a lot is the deceased saying loving words to the individual, the dreamer, whether it be a kid, a parent, or, or really anyone. And that's sort of a, really a common thing. And that for me, when I look at that, I really realize, you know, part of the grieving process, what hits us the most one of the things that can hit us the most is that the person who died also provide us a, provided us feedback that we're loved. And so what these dreams can really do is help us understand we're still loved and to feel that. Because a lot of times if, when that person dies, like how are we going to feel that again? And so these dreams can allow us to hear that message to allow us to stand up a little, a little taller as we try to face sort of this enormous task ahead of us. But I think love is one of the keys to working with it. And a lot of people say like grief is love, right? And so it's about really connecting to that other part of love, to feeling that warmth, to be able to then, you know, walk within the grief process and not around it, that I think it really provides people. But what's interesting, I do want to sort of mention, like, as much as I talk about like bereavement dreams, like these dreams, like happen in the beginning of loss, of course, but they happen throughout someone's entire life. And like people don't understand that, you know, like this is not like you have this dream and it's over, like you'll have it again, even let's say you're not constantly working on your grief per se it's been like say 10 years i know time's not a big thing let's say it's been 10 years and you're you're constantly looking at it but it's not providing those um huge moments of distress you can still have these dreams but they'll just talk about different things they'll talk about other stresses you have in your life and they can give reassurance on that so it could be let's say you're going through a divorce they'll talk about that during the pandemic people were having these dreams of the deceased reassuring them that they're going to be safe or okay during the pandemic um, also to a lot of people were lonely. So they're hanging out with the deceased within the imagery. And so this is a very different. And then at the end of life, you see these dreams again to help people transition from life to death. And so this is a very fascinating phenomenon for that. I think that's another reason why it's not just that it's helping people through the initial process of working through their grief, but it's a lifelong process that these dreams are coming to help people through very difficult moments in their life, uh, even right to the end of life. And I think that's a very beautiful statement that these dreams they're special in one way or another i don't know how you classify them but there's something going on that really makes these very special and at end of life they have very comforting dreams too they can have negative dreams but it's more common to have these positive dreams like in the beginning of grief so the function of the dream seems to be very similar throughout one's life so that brings forth the question is how important is this 
to be supported, to be acknowledged, to have a space for its expression, especially among children, teens, and youth who experience uh, grief dreams. I mean, just to add to that, if we've had a lifetime of supporting grief dreams from the time we're children in learning and acknowledging and holding space for them, that would be immeasurable, wouldn't it? Well, oh, it'd be huge. And they'll understand these dreams from a different level. They'll be able to normalize that within the grieving process. So it won't be as much of a concern. And they can voice their concerns out to the people who are asking these questions. So as long as they're providing a safe space, they can talk about what's going on and also can to provide you some understanding of how they're truly working through their grief and where they are at. Because I said, like, um, emotional intelligence isn't a thing that we're really born with. <laughs> we we got to learn. And, you know, these dreams really can help us. I know it helped me many a times uh, to understand how I was truly feeling. Like, I just thought I was in a different space and I truly was. But the other big thing to the reason to talk about these dreams is they're in pop culture. They're in the children's um, media. And if we don't talk about them, how do they, they're, all their information they're getting is from the TV or the songs, and they don't fully understand what's going on. So the Wiggles is like a children's group, right? And they have a song called It's Okay to Cry, which is beautiful. I recommend you listening to it. Um, but in the chorus of the song, it says, sometimes when I dream of you, I ask you to count with me. One, two, three, four, could it be that you will always be with me? It's in the song. <laughs> like They talk about it in the song. And then like the movies, there's a ton of different movies out there. And so there's the uh, Pete's Dragon's one of them. Never Ending Story uh, is one. Pinocchio just came out. The uh, what, what's the Pinocchio's the the dad the uh, the maker. What's his name? Do you remember? I really should know this. It's from our generation. I mean, I should know this. <laughs> I'll look it up. I'll look it up. <laughs> anyway, so that guy sings in the the newest one and about dreams of his of his deceased son. And then the newest one, Slumberland, came out in 2022. It's a whole movie based on a bereaved child wanting to see her father again in her dreams. It's the whole movie. And it's a very beautiful concept of how they sort of did that. So I really recommend people watching that movie because they did a lot of justice to the topic through it. And then right at the end, it just, it's beautiful because the ending of that dream really ties everything to what many of these dreams are on how they can really help people within their grieving process and how the people take that as they move forward in their waking life. Like these dreams, and not just dreams, they can be very transformative experiences for people. And shouldn't we want to know what transforms people? You know, like we want to know what, you know, how people get harmed, but what about transformed? And I think there's something special about that because we can utilize those techniques or understanding of the grief journey through understanding what's going on in people's dreams to say, oh, interesting. I didn't know that about, that's a great way of approaching that topic. It doesn't matter if you believe it's a visitation or not. It's still, it's important to understand that it's affecting the person in the moment. And whether it's a visitation, the, the deceased knows what you're thinking and what you need. If it's your mind, the mind knows what you need. So it doesn't really matter like what your interpretation of it is. It's more or less what's going on and how is that supposed to, or how is that helping the individual as they sort of move forward? And yeah, that movie is phenomenal. So I definitely uh, recommend people watching that. That's with Jason Momoa. <laughs> I know you've told me to watch it. My kid has seen it and I'm definitely going to watch it. But when you talk about transformation, it's amazing how intersectional that is with children's grief because and something that symbolizes children's grief is the blue butterfly which speaks to transformation, evolution, a becoming. And here we're talking about grief dreams. 
that can catalyze just such a transformation. Yeah, sometimes the person may think, oh, it's because they went to therapy or they or they they went somewhere and it helped them. We don't know what they're, if you're not asking about their dreams, you don't know the influence of these dreams in their waking life. That is, some can be very traumatic in the sense of really hindering any kind of process one can have at, in, in therapy or as they sort of move forward. But a lot of these can be very positive for children um, to be able to work through their emotions or to feel loved, to feel that they're, you know, their parents still with them in some way. And um, I know there's one dream I, I read, it was a teen, um, I'm just going to sort of read it here, that uh, the mom died by suicide. And so then he had this dream, basically, of the of him basically asking her why she killed herself. And she told him that she knew she'd never be well, that she wanted him to have a, uh, a life free of her antics and unpredictable behaviors. And he understood, and he forgave her. And that was just a very transformative dream for the individual to be able to forgive someone for that, but also to hear that from the individual. And, you know, like this happens, you know, throughout different age groups. And so when we can understand that, we can sort of understand how these dreams can reflect. And you don't need to know. This is the other really interesting thing about these dreams. I've had a a guest on that never knew her father. Um, So she died, he died when she was still in womb. And so they never had that bond. But it was through these dreams, she's actually developed a bond with her father. And so one of the dreams that she had when she was 13 was um, basically her dad saying, oh, when she was 15, sorry, when she was 15, he ba- she basically goes to his waiting room and there's a lawyer told her that it wasn't her time for her to be there yet. And then in the back, she basically saw her dad, like he was an employee or something, but her dad yells from the back, I love you. I see you every day. You are so beautiful. And then she woke up. And so she has her father figure is through her dreams of reassuring her and helping her. And she's had these dreams throughout as she even aged um, to help her out in different moments in time. And so I think that is just a very remarkable thing that you don't like, it doesn't matter if they even knew the person in the physical body, you can still have these moments of connection through the dreams. And this is the same thing happens with pets. And that's why I like, you know, bringing in the, the pet loss too, that it's just important that if an, a child has, or a pet has died, sorry, that these dreams can actually be reassuring them in some way or could be hindering them in some way. And so we, we have to ask to understand what the impacts they are, but either way, there's going to be some kind of impact. When we're supporting children, teens and youth who are having grief dreams and we address it as a loss and then they appear in their dreams, can that be confusing for them? Well, yeah, that's that's why we need to talk about the uh, the subject. And sometimes the dream imagery will reflect the language people are, are being told. And so here's another example. So I always like do talks, right? And then so in that people come up telling me about their dream. So this one time, this probably lady, maybe she was like 60, 65, came up to me and said, I had this dream when I was a kid and I can't figure it out. Can you like, do you want to hear it? And can you like, let me maybe figure out your opinions or your, your thoughts on it? I said, sure, of course. So she told me about this dream where um, her sister was being dragged by, you know, the Flintstones. You remember them, Rami? <laughs> yes, of course. In my childhood, every day, home from school at lunchtime. <laughs> and so anyway, so the, the individual had this dream when she was a child. And her sister was being dragged by Barney Rubble. And being, um, and she was kicking and screaming, and they're always vanished in this mirror. And I said, "Well, what's uh, like a first? What's going on? Like, 
did your sister die? And she's like, yeah, my sister died when I was a kid. I said, okay, like just understanding how that culture was back then. I said, did, did anyone ever talk to you about your sister and how she died? And she said, no. She's like, one day she was there and the next day she was not. And I said, oh, interesting. I said, did you ever go to the funeral? And she's like, no. I said, well, this seems to make, make sense to me. It seems to me that your mind's trying to understand why your sister's not there anymore. Like you just, like <laughs> for Barney Rebel to drag and then basically take the sister and, and to make her disappear, there's confusion on where the sister went and why she's not there anymore. And so the child, because she wasn't talked to, had to make up a, the mind was making up a reason because it was causing so much distress. Like it doesn't matter if it makes sense or not. It's, it's the mind's trying to process why the person's not there. And so it actually, first thing, it allows us to understand that it's important that we talk to children about what's going on and what's happening. But also these dreams can also help us gauge, you know, what they understand, what they're not, what do they hear, what they didn't hear and how they're understanding our, our choice of words in many ways or our lack of actions. So, yeah, that's a, a beautiful example of the importance of just talking to children because these moments can happen where it can be very confusing. Well said, Joshua. Well said. It's not like we're advocating for the Flintstones. I mean, if you look back in retrospect, how inappropriate it is in today's light. <laughs> And by the way, Pinocchio's dad's name, and I hope I'm saying this correctly, is Geppetto? Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah, Geppetto. Yes. So yeah, in the beginning of that, in the movie, he talks about, he sings a song about the dreams that he sees his child. And so it's just, it's it's in our pop culture, but we're not talking about it. And I think that's a very weird part where pop culture is ahead of the bereavement support clinicians and what they even talk about, what they even know. And it should be the opposite way around. And so hopefully people like say through this, just understand the importance and then learn more. There's so much more to learn said like the end of the day, but it's just valuing that we need to learn more, I think is the biggest thing that I sort of see in this topic. And whatever way you learn that, you said the website, there's a lot of questions on there where I go into detail on some of the common questions and stuff like that. But also just asking the question, you learn a lot. Like I learned a lot of my stuff just by asking people's opinions on the dreams they've had and to explore those a little bit more. So if I can ask you, Joshua, in your uh, professional and personal opinion, you know, I find in a lot of practices of grief support, there's still archaic, quote unquote, old ways of doing things. This is how we've always done it. There's still a lot of attachment to the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross models, and we're missing you know, the work that you're doing, the research you're doing in terms of grief dreams and the pro more progressive, even diverse aspects of grief support. Why do you think that's the case? What is, what is it about being more progressive in grief support that limits us to the ways that we can provide grief support? Case in point, not using grief dreams as uh, a way of supporting somebody in their expressions of grief. So that's quite a loaded question. So why do you think that is? You know, it's one of the wonders of the world that I'm still trying to figure out personally. But I think there's a narrative that maybe it just wasn't important. And because that's what I heard from other people um, when I was doing my research, some, you know, supervisors and people like heading organizations, when talking about the subject or incorporating within their stuff, they just sort of say, oh, I don't feel it's important part of it. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. And so where did they get that training? And I think, you know, personally, since we, we talk about cultures a lot and the Indigenous people, I think because one of my theories is because the Indigenous people valued it, the Western culture, when they came, devalued it. And so with that, now with most things that Indigenous people sort of valued are coming back in many ways and 
the Western culture is valuing the medicine and the different um, things that they did to help healing. This is just another one that's coming back and saying that there's actually more to this story than what people sort of had. And so I think with that narrative, um, people sort of pushed it away. And then now we're in a time where people who have been going to school and been trained, never been talked about the subject, and they just feel uncomfortable bringing it up. I remember being in a part of this support group. This is before I did all the PhD research. And we're re- redesigning their support group manual. And I said, oh, we should actually include talking about and asking about sleep and also dreams. And that person said, the the, the head organizer, uh, she said, you know, if we talk about dreams, we're going to have to talk about all the spiritual stuff and we don't want to do that. And so they said, no, I was like, wait, what? Wow. <laughs> it's like, I was like, wait, what? And so people are just uncomfortable with certain topics. And this topic leads a lot of different questions, you know, when it comes to spirituality, but also people also talked about, they didn't want to talk about it because um, not everyone has one. And I can get that because if other people are sharing these very beautiful dreams and you haven't had one, you can really feel down about yourself and wonder why. And so that's why I sort of did the research and also brought in the question that there's a worksheet on my website where people can actually fill out a dream they'd want to have and utilize that in this work group. Because after you ask people, everyone can create a dream they want to have. And that can be the the point of topic and conversation and to hear other people and what they wish for. And so it allows it to bring it back. So I think there's different reasons why and we're you said we're moving forward to with because of the the western research people are more okay with it but there's still a lot of misconceptions out there and and how people are able to sit with these dreams and so a lot of the education i do is just really getting people to understand that they can do it like it's it's not something you need someone to be um having a phd for like you just have to have some knowledge and then also some confidence in yourself and i always like for me, myself, I gained a lot of knowledge just by reading a lot of dreams people had and reflecting on how that um, relates to their waking life or how that was meaningful to them. And so in my own podcast, I have over 200 guests where I've talked about the dreams they had and what it meant to them. So like people are interested. They just listen to more of those you know, dreams and to sort of just see. And a lot of times I'm not interpreting the dream. I'm just sitting with them and they're sharing. And like, and you'll get better as you work with it. But the first step with anything is to just do it and ask the question like what you did and um, you're doing great and you're getting people to share these experiences, but they say a lot of times feel uncomfortable sharing with other people. And so it just showcases that you yourself are providing a safe space for people to open up because if they open open about their dreams, what else can they open up about that they may not sort of share? So it's just one of those things that I see as an important part as we move forward when we talk about grief literacy to include this as a part of that. I love how you say that just to sit with their dreams because sometimes it's really nothing more than that, just just sitting with their expressions through their dreams. I think oftentimes we misconstrue or misunderstand that we have to interpret the dreams. And that's really left with the person who's having the dream or wanting to have the dream. You know, with the clients that I support, it's amazing, maybe not an excitement, but the exuberance they have when they want to share something about their grief experience that nobody else is acknowledging or listening to. And that's, uh, that's usually grief dreams. So important measure of any form of support is risk. So what are your thoughts, Joshua, of any aspect of risk that may accompany supporting people in their grief dreams? Well, it depends. If the person's saying that they know what the dream means, it's, well, like the 
the support is saying what it means. Well, there's a lot of risks because they don't truly know. Like, And the best thing that we can do is just ask questions about it to try to help the dreamer connect it to their waking life. And that's sort of what I teach more than anything. Um, I've seen so many dreams. I can have an idea of maybe like what's being processed or what someone may be dealing with, but I never sort of just assume. Um, and a lot of times it's that uh, assuming is where people get into the trouble rather than the listening and then asking further questions to understand what the person's interpretation of it is. A lot of times the dreamer can get into trouble with going online and trying to look at a dream dictionary to try to figure out the meanings of their dreams, which people just don't understand dreams. Um, they'll go to that because that's all they know. And I feel for them because that's the worst place to go because everyone's dreams is so unique to them and their own experiences. It's their own language. They're talking to themselves in their own language. So if you're going somewhere else and trying to see what something else is being interpreted as like a swan or whatever, well, that's their language, not yours. So in cultures, sometimes like the cultures will have certain symbols and then that's, that would may be the case that that culture um, meaning for that symbol reflects accurately, but it could also be that that ex- person's experience with a bear is different than the culture's experience with a bear. And so it's just really the person trying to understand it themselves. And so there are workbooks and stuff out there, but yeah, th- th- that's the, the biggest thing for the person, the dreamer is maybe a misinterpretation of the dream based on other people's information or their own biases when looking at the dreams, but also the support person, their own biases can actually hinder them because it could actually lead them astray. I've seen that many times. Uh, One one moment I I saw this was there is an individual who said that they um, had this dream of a bunch of deceased family members all around a table. And then the person in the group um, spoke and said, oh, I, I heard if you dream of a lot of people, it means that someone close to you is going to die soon. I said, this isn't going to go well in my mind. I'm like, this isn't going to go well. And then that person says, oh, my grandma's, you know, she's pretty old. Maybe she's the one that's going to die. And then it clicked. The person said, but what happens if it's me? So now the person's fearing for their own life because they feel that that was a a premonition of their own death, which there's nothing to say it is. But now that person's carrying this fear of life in them because of someone's interpretation that they're taking on as their own, or I don't know how they even know that, but whatever. And then I chimed in and said, actually, just in my own limited amount of research, um, I looked at someone's dream diary. And what happened within the dreams was that as the person started to heal, deceased dream members started to be a part of the imagery. So first it was just the father, and then it became the father and grandmother. And so it actually could reflect your healing process. And then the person said, oh, I like that interpretation so much better. And so <laughs> because now it took away the fear and added this, actually, you're probably doing a lot of work within your grief that you should be proud of. You know, and this should be a, this may be a reflection of that, that it doesn't need to be one-on-one. Maybe need, that you can have more people. Uh, there's still a lot of mystery, you said, like, to what these dreams represent in someone's grieving process. But the, but the way that that went down, if I wasn't there, it would have, that person would have been so distraught. And would be afraid of these dreams as they move forward. So it's just always important not to just say things because someone told you, but to actually look at the research to sort of actually have some kind of opinion on it based on that. And even there, like there's still lots and lots to learn. This is like this is like the the beginning of really trying to understand such a unique phenomenon that humans have been probably having throughout the entire lifespan of and our of our species. So there's so much that we need to know. But we see it across cultures. And the one thing I will say that people and the cultures 
the th- main core theme of love is is really prevalent in those, but the they're symbols of their culture will be in in those dreams. And so you can you know a lot about someone's maybe beliefs based on the dreams they're having. So like Christians may have Jesus, um, where someone else um, will have you know, a different thing, or like uh, someone who's Buddhist may have talk about you know reincarnation in that dream. And those dreams are interesting in itself because some people believe that the a dream of the deceased may be even positive, even though it's positive, can be a negative experience for them with the interpretation because they believe that if they're having a dream of the deceased and then they're feeling that it's a visitation, it means that the soul is not reincarnated yet. And that can be a negative thing for them to process. So there's merits that they would do to then try to reincarnate the soul faster. And so there's just understanding the different culture aspects is, I think, very important also as we move forward. Yeah, absolutely fascinating, Joshua. Something you mentioned that I find sad, but also interesting in a way, is how Indigenous peoples have spoken about grief dreams for generations. And now we're talking about it as if it's something progressive and we're pioneers in it when they've been talking about this for millennia. So one other thing I want to put forth to you, Joshua, is if you haven't shared enough with us today, is I've been in a field of death and dying care for many, many moons. And out of three or four people that I serve that die, I have a grief, at least one or two grief dreams of. I wonder, in whatever sector you provide support, whether it's palliative care, hospice palliative care, death doula, grief and bereavement, I wonder if we're missing a domain of support for ourselves as professional caregivers. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's just acknowledging the fact that in our professions, wherever they are, the people that we serve, we care for. And with that, we grieve for when they die. And a lot of times we try to separate that as if we're like robots. And so there's policies in place to like say, oh, you don't need support because you're not supposed to, you know, you're supposed to care about everyone equally. It's not the case. Like we're not built like that. And so these dreams are just reflective of some state of maybe trying to acknowledge the grief within ourselves or process that grief alone, usually within ourselves. Um, And a lot of times when it comes to the service support, a lot of times when the dreams I've heard anyways, there's probably more, but the dreams themselves help the individual know that they did the, the best job they could and that they're appreciative of that. And in a service industry, like, like a hospice or, or something else, it could be that, you know, we don't get that kind of support in our environment where we feel that we're doing a, a good job. Like we want to do more for our clients and it breaks our heart when they die. And, and we question, did we do enough? And these dreams can reassure us that we did and, and what how beautiful that is. But it also speaks to the environment in which the person is working where they're unsure. And if they're not being supported in their grief also, well, they're also unsure that that grief is even appropriate. And if they tell someone, someone may diminish that grief. So asking about dreams is great, but also just understanding like we care about those we serve. And if we do that, we're also bereaved when they that person dies. And we got to find someone to be able to speak about that with. Uh, if not, we're just going to hold that and burn out and it'll just come out sideways in many ways. So uh, you see that, you know, with this and also with people, just like any really profession you're, you're dealing with a population that's dying um, or yeah, any population that's dying. And I just want to sort of mention, so like when I, so I, I was a part of this teens group where they brought me in because they asked the teens, you know, what, what topics they'd want to talk about. And so grief dreams is one of them, which, you know, I like. And so um, they brought me in to talk to the group and it was such a beautiful experience because 
I got to sort of just hear their dreams. And in, it's amazing what came out of that. So one person talked about the negative nightmares that they're having after the person um, that they sort of cared for died by suicide. And this was going on for a long time and it impacted their sleep and, and all this sort of stuff. And it was amazing to hear the stories to then be able to talk about the dreams and reassure them on what one can do you know, from that, but also hear what kind of dreams the individual actually wanted to have beyond that. And when I got off that call, it was interesting, was the, the host or the, the person running the meeting said it's the first time the person opened up about the, the death of, that died by suicide. And I think that was very fascinating for me because I was just asking about dreams, but what came was this other whole load of information that the person wasn't willing to open up about, but just because it was a dream, it felt safe. And so we talked about it and it, the person, I, I feel, um, enjoyed that experience and that opportunity to just really talk about that and learn a little bit about dreams. And another person said that they had all these like dream negative dreams also, but it, it was a lot like it was, and I was like, that, cause usually you have one or two or maybe three, like, you know, every couple months. Um, but this person was having them a lot. And I said, is there a pattern to, you know, these dreams that you're having? And the individual sort of said that a lot of times it's when she, when she is trying to make a decision. And I said, oh, isn't that interesting? And I said, well, who is this person and how did they sort of impact your decision-making? And it was the mom that died and the mom always helped with the decisions. And I'm like, wow, isn't that something that you take for granted as an adult in the sense of the decisions that you make? But when you're a teen, you're still unsure of yourself in many ways. And so these dreams are just a reflection of the difficulties in that area. And so it was just triggering those, those memories of what's not around anymore. And I think that's um, for me, it was a, a moment to be able to talk about a subject that you wouldn't normally bring about in a grief group. Um, or sometimes people don't fully understand what they're really saying, but it's, it's talking about a different aspect of grief, of decision-making. And the dream, because we talked about the dreams, that came up. And to be able to talk about that one subject would have made the, you know, a difference for that person because they're talking about an area that they um, really unsure of before, and they can have more confidence in what they're doing. So there's just really interesting, just by bringing up the topic, new information can come for people who are trying to support the individual. Thank you so much today, Joshua, all that you shared, your experience, your knowledge, your wisdom, your insights. It's so invaluable. I think your podcast is over 200 episodes now. So quite an incredible body of work. Anything else you want to share with us? Anything else you would like people to know about grief dreams? You know, that there's so much to talk about. I think one of the interesting things I just want to quickly add is that when you look at dreams, the different themes based on the type of loss, you get different types of like themes. And so one of them is when a, a child dies. And what you'll see, it's, you can see the child age as they would have in waking life, which I think is very interesting in the sense of just how the dreams transform um, as time goes on. But also if someone has a, um, a loss of a child, there's a lot of play in those dreams. And when an adult dies, you don't really see that. And so I think it just really remarks on like one of the other big things that probably parents that have lost a child <laughs> are maybe not doing or can't do or not able to do is to play 
you know, and children really help us get out of the seriousness of life to be able to move. And it, that could be just another reason why these dreams can be very great for people to really break out of those barriers that we sort of hold ourselves to. And so I've actually, because I've saw those dreams, I decided to, there's gold in that. And so I started to like realize I need to play more. I can't just talk to my friends. I need to play. I need to dance. I need to like, you know, just do silly things because there's something about that that I think brings out our spirit and our love for ourselves and the others around. So at the end of the day, I'm just really grateful for you to have me on and ask. I said like, it's just my a great desire for this topic to be more known and to just be asked the questions and see how cultures look at this and to be able to incorporate that within our support programs because it's going to be beautiful to sort of see what people hear and i'm still learning you're going to be learning and that's okay it's okay to learn that's the whole point of life is to continue to learn and we just have to start asking the questions and then we'll start learning about it so thank you so much rami i just you know i just want to you've always been a big support of the topic even before i had all the research out and um, for you to be able to have me on here i think it's great you're doing a fabulous job with this podcast too i've listened to the episodes even had a, a past guest talk about the dreams i remember so you know it's coming out in different ways and sometimes maybe it's just the right time for people to i guess just incorporate it within their own knowledge of grief literacy my pleasure joshua my absolute pleasure and one final note I can't wait to see you dance. <laughs> if that's how you play and your expression and your vivaciousness and joyfulness, I can't wait to see you dance, my friend. <laughs> One day I'll give, I'll give you that sight, yeah. <laughs> oh, good times, good times. In any case, I know you're out in BC, so I believe the timing is a little bit different out there. I hope the weather's still all right for you folks. I hope you're staying safe, uh, Joshua and continue the phenomenal work. Folks, if you want to learn more about Dr. Black's work, just check out his website, www.griefdreams.ca, or visit him on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. For more information about our organization, visit us at www.lighthousegriefsupport.org, or check out our Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook pages. My name is Rami Shami, and this has been the Lighthouse Beacon Podcast. Stay safe, everyone.